Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You know, this month, my wife and I are celebrating our 12th wedding anniversary, so I was looking at some pictures uh, from our wedding from 12 years ago, and I how good I look in that tuxedo from Leon Tailoring. Not just me, but all my groomsmen as well. And so if you got a big formal event or a wedding this fall, or maybe wedding next spring, think about our good friends over at Leon Tailoring. Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy would be happy to see you. I'm happy to make you look as good today as I did 12 years ago. Well... It'll almost look as good as me as 12 years ago. I'm just kidding. So we're going to buy Leon Tailoring. They'll be happy to see you. 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Uh, Chris Lowry with us uh, for a few more minutes on the program today as we talk about higher education here in the state of Indiana. Uh, Chris, it seems like uh, over the past 10 years or so, higher education has got a bit of a, of a bad rap, uh, whether it is the, the, the cost of higher education, uh, the student loan debt uh, that that's sort of caught us uh, in, in, in sort of a bit of a fervor these days, and also just some of the... Some people are kind of wondering, you know, is my kid, you know, going to college to become, you know, a, a flaming liberal or flaming conservative? Is is really worth it? Uh, what are you? What are your thoughts on all that? What What is the role of, of higher ed these days? Yeah, you know, I I think the role of higher ed is, you know, it's it's not singular. Certainly, um, yeah, I I think it's at the heart of uh, providing opportunity for someone to experience economic and social mobility. Uh, I'll, I'll go personal on you for about 20 seconds. Um, this hadn't hit me until a uh, series of questions this past summer from a group of people. And I, it, it, I suddenly realized and, and understood myself that three of my four grandparents didn't graduate from high school. In fact, I, I think three of the four didn't go past seventh grade. One did finish high school, 1921. And then out of that next generation, only one child uh, finished beyond high school. All of those in that next generation finished their high school diploma, but only one went beyond high school. And, and Abdul, that was my dad. I probably shared that with you. He was he did an apprenticeship with General Motors. And what happened is with each one of those generations, um, there was there was significant um, change in the opportunities available to us. You know, I have a graduate degree that doesn't make me special, but what it's done is opened up opportunities for me. And of course. The same has been the case for mine and Geraldine's children. And I say that because I think, you know, the role of higher education it, it can really be impactful in terms of economic and social uh, mobility and prosperity, right? It's the hand up uh, that that can really help an individual. It's also critically important to uh, the well-being and health of our, of our businesses for the wealth creators that Again, across that whole spectrum of training and education, we need all of the above. And, you know, I think there are a lot of indicators that tell us it's really critically important for the civil society fabric that we have. Um, you know, since I have everyone's ear here for a minute, you know, I'll share with you. I have a great concern that as we look at the college going rates, one of the steepest declines we see is in young men. Uh, you know, the percentage of young men choosing to go to something beyond high school has been in decline, and it's, it's faster than than the average. Um, our last set of numbers show that 61% of young women made the decision to go beyond high school, only 46% of young men. And interestingly enough, and, and alarming, I think, is that many of those young men are also not opting to go into the workforce. And, and I think that's really concerning because that you know, that idle time um, is, is not a good thing. So that's part of it. But back to your back to part of your other point around sort of the bad rap. You know, I was talking with 
uh, a reporter who was just doing some background for a broader story um, from the Wall Street Journal. And he was asking me why um, why I thought there was this negative perception around the value of higher ed and so forth. And, and I kind of laughed with him. I said, Doug, you do read your own paper, right? <laughs> and I said, you know, I've been a, a subscriber for, I don't know, 30 or 40 years. And I said, you've had articles on the front page of the journal that depict somebody who has, and let me pick on the state of California, you know, somebody who has this weird graduate degree from USC, and they're in debt to a quarter million dollars, and you know, they can't even find a part-time job. I said, my challenge is that sets the perception of higher ed. I said, in reality, in Indiana, you know, the unemployment rate at that time was less than 1%. You know, for somebody with a bachelor's degree and higher, 85% wage premium, you know, the average debt in Indiana, I, I wish folks didn't have the debt, but my goodness, it was around twenty-eight or $29,000. I said, you know, that's that's like less than a new Kia. And so, so the investment on average, you know, really is there, really pays off. And, um, you know, too oftentimes it's that, you know, uh, Abdul, I called it the unicorn, right? That's the unicorn story. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's the person who has this weird degree and quarter million dollars in debt and they can't find a job. Or the other one is, well, hey, but I know the person who has a high school diploma who's, you know, the, the zillionaire next door, right? I've got those friends, too. But again, on average, you know, a person who does seek that training and education beyond high school is going to have a much better chance and better likelihood of, you know, economic and social mobility. You know, employers are going to have that broad, uh, well-trained, uh, you know, base from which to draw in the workforce, and you know, communities just communities just thrive at a higher rate when you've also got those levels of attainment uh, that are that are available. Chris Lowry with us for a few more minutes on the program today. Uh, so, Chris, uh, let me ask you this, uh, because I know uh, in, in addition to that, that the, the sort of you know, the sort of narrative being pushed about higher education, uh, what is it about Indiana? Uh, is it just our history or or what is it that did, 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 that didn't make higher education as attractive as, as it could have been? And maybe you talk about, you know, your grandparents. So, you know, my grandparents, yeah. too. You know, you could go you could you could maybe not finish high school. Get a job at the factory at the end of town. You know, live well. You know, retire. Get a gold watch. Take take a vacation every once in a while. But those days just don't just don't exist anymore. And it kind of makes me wonder: is is sort of the who's your mindset sort of caught up with 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 the times? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a, a great question, and I think we have been seeing that shift occur. And, and frankly, I think it's incumbent upon those of us who've been uh, entrusted to lead in these roles to help. To help push the change, right? Um, what you described is what occurred in many Indiana communities over the years, um, where you know an individual could graduate from high school. I graduated in 1980, and frankly, I think I was on the that cusp of of a generation who you know could have gone into a factory job at the time, paying a, a really good wage with great benefits and so forth, or you know, go ahead and make the decision as I did and you did and many others did to uh, pursue something where, you know, we thought there would be a better prospect for the future. And, you know, we had we literally had decades where someone could finish high school, sometimes not finish high school and get a really well-paying job. But, you know, as as several factors changed over the years, 
um, you know, the, the desire for cheaper labor. So, you know, the movement of jobs, whether it was to the south or whether it was, you know, outside of the country, um, the increases in technology and, you know, and we're going to right. We're just going to continue to see that automation, digitization. Um, you know, I, I think that some of that that we just have to be talking about every day. And again, you know, I'll go back to a point I made earlier. We have to have the voice of of others who are really trusted. So not just government folks, uh, and not just uh, you know policy wonks like me, but individuals who can speak within their their own neighborhoods or their own communities or their own. Um, you know, organizations to reach individuals to say, look, uh, we have these shifts that have occurred and, and we've got to keep up with them. You probably recall a few years ago, I think it was night or excuse me, 2018, that the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership uh, commissioned a really deep project by the Brookings Institution and the American Enterprise Institute, which, again, I think that's really interesting, you know, uh, center left, center right uh, think tanks. And part of their findings that were so critically important uh, included that Indiana, because of our really rich uh, advanced manufacturing uh, based economy, is also one of the states most at risk for digitization, automation, technology, right? That if we if we're if we're not preparing individuals for those kinds of jobs that are going to continue to advance, um, you know, some folks are going to get left out. And I think, again, it's incumbent upon us in leadership roles to to be pointing that out, talking about it, bringing along anyone who will uh, who who wants to be hard, you know, part of that solution. So, right, it can't be just government and, and education. Uh, business has to be engaged, has to be speaking up um, our, our terrific philanthropic organizations and our community and faith-based organizations. So I think, you know, there's a shifting of that narrative that I believe is underway already, Abdul, uh, but I think we, we can't let up on it. And we've also got to make sure in the process that, um, and I think this is critically important, that no one feels condescended to and that no one feels as though uh, anyone's trying to poke them in the eye. You know, we've got to bring people along and help show them the opportunities. And whether we're talking with, you know, 13 and 14 and 16 and 18 year olds, or whether we're talking, you know, with 28 and 48 year olds who are going to need to make a shift in, in their livelihoods, hopefully with the support of new training and education, we've, you know, we've got to be honoring in that process. And uh, that's what our team is uh, setting forth to do. Uh, final question for you, Chris. Uh, so what's going to be the priorities for uh, uh, Indiana's college higher education uh, next year? Yeah, so coming into the new year, we've got some that are legislative. We've got some that uh, won't require legislative action. But, you know, we're looking at the new outcomes-based performance funding formula. Um you know, it has been solely focused on completions for a number of years. We're not going to take the eye off of that ball, but we're going to also, probably not surprising to you and your listeners, also focus on that college going rate. So more youth, more adults, how can we help incentivize and support institutions to bring in more students to, regardless of what the program is, again, a certificate or a bachelor's, master's degree, um, keeping the eye on completions, but also then uh, having greater emphasis around college graduate retention. Here's a, here's something that I thought was a very interesting statistic that I learned just a couple of months ago when I asked the question. Um, Indiana is 14th best 
at attracting students from out of state. And I think, you, you know me, Abdul, I'm a markets person. And you know, to me, the markets are speaking and saying, hey, we, we've got a good value here. Where we, where we fall down or just don't do the job we could do is we're 40th. So 1-4 versus 4-0, we're 40th in retaining graduates. And we're going to keep the eye on that and also starting to put focus on that through the performance funding formula. A couple of other things that we're doing we think are really key. Uh, you may have been aware we did some reshuffling, reorganization at the commission, and we now have, for the first time, an associate commissioner for K-12 strategy. She used to work for the Mitch Daniels team up at Purdue, and uh, we have an associate commissioner for adult strategy. So really figuring out how do we reach youth better and how do we reach adults better. Uh, on the youth side of it, a couple of things we're doing is uh, really looking at the uh, 21st Century Scholars Program. How do we help students who are in the program? How can we help them be more successful? And how can we get more students into that program? In addition to that, um, Gosh, this Gates Foundation report that I was mentioning, uh, along with our own reports and research, show that students who take dual credit while in high school, and specifically if they're able to finish the Indiana College Corps, that, that block of 30 hours that's fully transferable to any of our institutions, if they take that uh, – Gosh, over 90% of the students who take that actually go on to college, and then they're you know, really highly successful. So that's going to be a focus of ours, making sure you know, my goal is that every high school has that available uh, within the next three years to, to any high school student. Um, and then also on the adult side, really focusing uh, with our veterans. We have a, a fairly new member of the commission, retired General Erica Studerman, who's leading a task force uh, supported by our staff in focusing on veterans. I think we can do a much better job of help translating the training and education they've received into academic credit uh, and helping them you know, achieve an outcome that helps them in the marketplace. Um, also, something called credit for prior learning. I know you're familiar with that. <laughs> a lot of listeners may not be, uh, but really helping honor individuals for their work experiences. Um, you know, I've used an example, a good friend of mine who's been in business for 40 years and you know, literally has run every part of the, of, of the company, uh, but doesn't have a formal college degree. That person and, and many others should get some form of credit as they enter an institution. So that's going to be a high focus of ours. And, um, you know, working with the other uh uh, agencies with business and others to help with that college graduate retention. How can we really be innovative in keeping those uh, those great students, those great individuals who receive training and in, training and education in in Indiana to stay put? Because we have such a great state. You know this. I've, I've lived all but one of my sixty years uh, in Indiana. I think it's the best place in the nation, and just want to you know help attract more students. So so those are some of our high priorities. All right. Well, a good conversation today. Our guest on the program has been Chris Lauer. Chris is the new higher education uh, commissioner. Chris, my friend, is always nothing but the best of luck, and we'll be talking to you again real soon. Uh, Abdul, it's always great talking with you. Happy New Year to you and your listeners, and I'll look forward to seeing you soon. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.